Hello everyone and welcome to Motos and Friends, a weekly podcast brought to you by the editors at Ultimate Motorcycling. My name is Arthur Coldwells. In the first segment this week, I get to chat with one of the most energetic guys I've met in a long time. Adam Tromp is the founding partner at Iconic Motorbikes. Starting out as a reseller of collectible machines, Adam's vision quickly turned Iconic into an online auction site, plus a whole lot more. I don't want to spoil the story, so I'll let him tell it in his own words. But suffice it to say that in a very short period of time, he and his partners have managed to turn Iconic motorbike auctions into an absolute powerhouse. Where it's all going and what's next, I wonder. In the second segment, editor Don Williams talks to me about the Benelli Leoncino. Uh, or is that Leoncino? I'm not Italian, and neither is he, so we're not entirely sure. But suffice it to say that this Italian-designed, Chinese-built, 500cc parallel twin-engine motorcycle actually holds several surprises, and perhaps not what you'd think. I really enjoyed both of these topics, and I hope you do too. So, uh, so why Iconic Motorbikes? Uh, the short of it is, is that, uh, as I mentioned earlier, motorbikes have always been just a, a really happy place for me. It's the one spot I met my best mates. I've had my, my career evolved through that. Um, you know, I found my career through that. My kid's mother I met through motorbikes. Uh, just anything positive in my life has always been two-wheeled, kind of involved, if you will. Right. Um, and so with that said, I, uh, I decided at that point in my life that I'd already kind of met all the milestones. I've made the money I needed to make. I've had the exotic cars and the houses, all the things that never really made me any happier than I was when I was struggling and riding that bike as a young man, right? So right. I've gone through all those cycles, and then I finally just said, hey, uh, you know, what do I want to do? I don't want to work for someone else. I want to do something myself. I want to do something that I know I can do better than everyone else is doing, right? And so I know that might sound a little pretentious, but the fact of the matter is the other auction companies I was going to, the online forums, the Ebays, the... It was just, you know, you go to Cycle Trader and it's just, you get all these spam messages. I just kept seeing all negative experiences. And even the dealership side of things, you know, it kind of felt like they're talking into these things you don't need and these high interest rates and they're talking to, to a bike that you maybe don't want. And I just thought I could do it better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you met Abby mm -hmm. um, and you, you told me that story. So what, what was that? How, tell me that again. Well, let's rewind back a little bit. So... Iconic obviously pivoted a few times. You know, when we first when I first came up with this idea, I wanted to be a magazine, and then I realized by the time I was ready to write that check, the day before print, um, <laughs> which is a sizable check, it was sixty some odd thousand dollars, I decided that I was going to call all the advertising companies that had committed to me and just confirm one more time. Well, as you, as again as I mentioned to you, they all said print is dead, which had a different story a year ago. But anyway, that aside. Right. So we pivoted into this. Been there, done that. Oh, yeah. And you have, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, you have a big experience in that, right? Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's exactly our story. Sure. So, and I didn't want to just go too quick, too fast, and any kind of a shock value kind of approach. I wanted to kind of bring in, you know, baby steps, if you will. So started a dealership and uh, on Lincoln Boulevard, that small shop, which you first ran into. Just to, you know, and I met the right people, right? I mean, the Camming Co's and all these people. And it wasn't so much intentional, but they're all local and we all kind of hit it off. I've been into bikes since I was a young man, as I mentioned earlier, since I was eight years old. So I had a bunch of 
collectors and mates that I've met all around the world when I was on my corporate job. And so I brought that into the, into the picture. The dealership was running well um, for the most part. We decided to evolve into a service department. We hired Steven, as a, also known as the professor online, which is great. He's got his own character, if you will, now. And uh, it evolved into what it is after that. So I, I kept, I ran into Abby. Abby owned a website called Bicurious. Bicurious is basically a uh, uh, online media type blog, if you will, sure. where he test rides new mag new motorcycles, uh, kind of like a magazine, if you will. Sure. He um, he does odd trips, like he did across the United States in, in 50 hours on a H2, <laughs> uh, you know, Kawasaki H2. And so um, we hit it off and we're sitting in a parking lot on Lincoln Boulevard with the traffic zooming by and he said to me, he goes, hey, what's the next progress of Iconic Motorbikes? I said, well, I want to be an, an auction company and I can't really go as big and as, and as huge as like a Mecham on live, so I said, we need to take this online. Right. And right. just by coincidence, he says, you know, I've been working on that myself. So thankfully, Avi's background in the media side and motorbikes was, fa was fantastic, but he also has a scholastic background and a programming kind of coding background, if you will. So he was able to build the website. Uh, you know, we, it's modeled a lot off our competitor, Bring a Trailer. It works a lot like theirs does. Right. It took the best of all the ones we could find. We took the things sure. like eBay, and again, we were kind of budget limited, so we started off um, with what we had to have, and then we evolved into what it is. Right, that's uh, smart. Yeah, and then so yeah. we developed the trust of the dealership, we developed the service department with Steve and some more mechanics, and then we, divided, we started being more and more online. The social media started right after, which had a, right. a fantastic, uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, it just went, Following? Yeah, there you go, right, right. off the bat, a big pardon. So we're, right off the bat, that did really well. So all these progressive moves were ahead of schedule, quite a bit ahead of schedule. And so the auction was next. And we launched the auction, it went really well. Had a couple little bugs, because again, we were kind of self-programmed, did it ourselves. Sure. And then uh, we decided we wanted to do a proxy bidding format. So we relaunched the auction in January this year, and uh, a, new, a new website. And it's done exceptionally well since then. So, right. you know, it's funny though, because we were only three and a half years old, we've already moved three times, we've had six different spots. Like, so it's definitely been a really fast progression, but same point, it's been amazing. It's well, been I, really fun. I, I mean, obviously I saw the original shop in, in Bartels that was literally bursting at the seams, or next door to Bartels, that was literally bursting at the seams. <laughs> and so then you went to Santa Monica Airport to, to the, the, uh, the hangar there, and oh my God, I mean, I've just, I've never seen so many motorcycles in one collection. It's been amazing. I mean, how did you how did you get it to that size so quickly? How, I well, mean, it's funny because how did you um, find all those collect them? Well, that's the thing. I, you know, and all the discovery and all the things we were thinking about. Like, obviously, the auctions were something we wanted to fix, and, and a better dealership. We wanted to do that, and a better service department that worked on carburetors. Imagine that, right? Carburetors. Who would have thought? So, those things were all important to us. But um, I have a list of bikes that I've just dreamed of, right? And so right. I spent a lot of my childhood in Costa Rica for a while. It's a long story to why I was there, but I was there. And the only thing I had, it was Popular Mechanics Magazine and, <laughs> and bike magazines because right. there was a retired professor there and all his subscriptions came. So he was all, and so I didn't go to school for the whole time I was there, almost four years. And all I did was read magazines and, and I'd cut out the pictures of the bikes I wanted. <laughs> I didn't even have scissors. I remember like oh, trying, trying to get those one day. <laughs> yeah, one day. Yeah, I'd read all these articles. And so and now you've got 20 of them. Oh my gosh, right? I mean, an RC30 was like a dream bike of mine. And right. I've had the privilege of riding probably better part of 20 of them. We've sold 38 of them so far. Wow. So anyway, back to your question. 
So I just realized there's not a place for collectors and enthusiasts to really go. Right? No. I mean, where do you go, right? If you're, you're this guy or a girl and you're sitting on, even if it's two or three bikes, and maybe, maybe it's just an RC30 and it's in your house or it's something that you had as a child, where do you sell that thing? Craigslist, sure. eBay, Meekum. I mean, you're not going right. to get the experience that you want. You don't. You want to kind of know where it's going to. You want a good experience. You don't want the stress. Right. And quite honestly, I, I just that's kind of what happened. So we opened that door, and people lined up for it. And it, it's to the point now where I honestly check my email on a daily basis. Well, numerous times a day. <laughs> right. <to be> honest, <laughs> and I have bikes coming to us from all over the world. I mean, right now, as I mentioned to you at dinner last night, we have two bikes that I have been chasing for years, like literally right. chasing. I knew about these bikes, but I had to have them. And sure as heck, um, you know, the clouds opened and God spoke to me and said, here they are. And so the opportunity came about and it's a perfect little mix of just positive karma, positive thoughts and positive hopes and, and things just always work out. Well, also, I mean, it's, it's, it's a smart play because like you say that you've, you're essentially consolidating this very fractured market that's been around since, you know, since the dawn of time. I mean, you know, there are lots and lots of collectors out there. As people age out and want to get rid of their collections, or sadly people pass away and, and their spouse is, is left, you know, dealing with it. Um, and and I, I'm sure a lot of people make plans and, and, and figure out how to do that and, and what have you. But... But I think there's a lot of people out there that don't. And to have a sort of a single trusted resource that, that actually knows what they're talking about, that can value something accurately, um, and then put it in front of a truly global audience, um, I think probably, I think that's a very smart thing to do. So it, it, well, it was never about money. Like, I know that sounds like a redundant statement and people say that kind of thing, but right. it wasn't. I mean, I've... I'm thankful that I've done it well enough in my life. You know, we, my wife and I have another company that does okay, so it does well. So it wasn't about that. It was a passion project, but you're right. Um, <clears throat> the age thing was kind of a, I don't know, an accident, if you will. I didn't really, <laughs> right. well, <clears throat> I mean, okay, so twofold, right? So first and foremost, yes, we're at that age, right? So we're 40s, 50s, 60s, where the money, this is when we make the most money. This is when the money that we've made, we decide to use it for something because, you know, you can't take it with you. Right. And so, yeah. yes. All of a sudden, I can't afford that bike I wanted. Maybe it's a lot more expensive than it was when you were a kid. Right. You know, an RC30 isn't $9,000, $10,000 anymore like it used to be. Right. But my point is you could afford that. So that was, wasn't really part of the plan. The part of the plan was I personally love these bikes. I personally can afford these bikes. I've got to ride these bikes before I die. Right. And it just so happens that a lot of people share that same mentality. And so... Right. Yeah, um, the timing was right. The collection thing is interesting also because the aging out scenario, I've noticed that on a couple different levels, right? So I've already, you know, I watch social media. I see how people respond to my comments and, and my posts and all these things. And I post a lot. I post right, yeah. over 8,000 posts already in a few uh -huh. years because I have a lot to say. But uh, I see how people react. And what I'm seeing now is that some of the earlier bikes, like the H1s, H2s, classic Cowies, the old CBs, they have a demand still, but it's not, that group is, I hate to say it, but kind of dying off, fading out a little right, bit, right? Right, sure, sure. And now you're seeing a much more active approach on the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s stuff, right? Like really? 86 Slabby, yeah. huge bike right now, right? Sure. 86 um, Limited, fantastic. ZX7s, right. ZX7s, everybody wants one. RC30s, right. 
If I had a hundred of them, I could sell them, sell them right away. So sure. I'm seeing that, but again, it's, uh, you know, they need a place to go. Right. And, you know, and another thing I mentioned to you earlier was the wills and things like that. I'm <laughs> iconic as mentioned in six different people's wills right now. Right. If something happens to me, you know, you know, most of them are men and they say, Hey honey, I want you to take the bikes to iconic motorbikes because they'll take care of you. And in that way, they're not hard pressed to clear out something that's so important to them. Right. I will say the flaw of it is, is I, I'm a really heavy heart kind of guy, right? So <laughs> I had a really good uh, buddy just have a heart attack a few weeks ago and his daughter didn't know what to do with his bike. It's not a large collection and nothing terribly valuable. And uh, I found a guy to buy everything at a sizable, a, a solid fair amount in my eyes. And she needed to sell the house. So he came and cleared it all out. I kind of paid nothing on that transaction, right. Right. but you know what? I just, I figure that's okay because right. I believe sure. strongly in karma and positive attitude. And he was my friend. Right. And I know that he's smiling down on me right now. Right. And uh, his daughter has sent me a beautiful right. text a couple days ago thanking me. And that there's payment in that, right? So, right. yeah, it's been fun. I mean, I got to tell you, I've, uh, I dreamed about riding so many of these bikes as a kid, yeah. you know, and, you know, not to go too deep in the weeds, but I wasn't a very financially... You know, we, we weren't doing all that well as kids. Like, right. you know, we lived in Costa Rica. I didn't even own a shirt in Costa Rica. Like, that's how poor we were. Like, I was worried right. I wouldn't have a meal. Right. So, I never even thought that I'd have a chance to ride most of these vehicles, like these bikes. Like, I just, it just never even crossed my mind that I'd have the opportunity. Right. And as I got older, I started doing better and better and better. And I kept thinking, oh, maybe one day I have a Ferrari. I had that Ferrari and I just, just despised it. <laughs> it, was just, <laughs> it, it didn't do a thing for me. It was just such a muddy pit. But I'll tell you this much, where I threw a leg over an old 1992 ZX-7 or, or something like that, and God, I'll tell you, my heart would light up, my eyes would light up, that adrenaline starts pumping again. Right. You know, you get those right. old feelings of being a young man that you can, right. you know, you can go it's a little so faster. True. So does Iconic buy the motorcycles and then sell them on, or are they brokering, you know, through the auction system? So there's a handful of different approaches. Um, it's basically on the, whatever the seller wants to do. I don't like sellers to feel like they're leaving money on the table. So I give them the opportunity to go whichever route they want, right? So yes, you can put a bike on our auction site, it's a minimal fee, and we, we get a 7% buyer's fee, right? So right. That's, that's obviously the best way. Sometimes people need money right away, or an estate needs money right away. So we'll buy them at some times, or at, at times. Um, otherwise, sometimes there's some hybrids. Well, so I'll tell you what, right. you need money right now, how about I advance half on the agreed upon, and we'll split the over and above of the agreed upon reserve. Right. So, okay. That's smart. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, in the service department, it's kind of a nice little thing that we add that no one else does. Uh, we have four mechanics, all of which are phenomenal. Like I'm talking, these guys are great. Like right. everyone has their own kind of niche, if you will, at what they're really great at. The personalities are incredible. It's so good. <laughs> I got to tell you this really quick. I don't mean to go on a tangent, yeah, no, no. but Oliver, uh, we, uh, Ollie is one of our mechanics and I absolutely adore him. I just love this guy. Like I have everything in common with him. He's kind of quiet. I'm the hyper kind of <laughs> excited guy. He's more mellow and kind of like, you know, but uh, he was at a, and he's been in bikes forever, right? He wrenched for some British superbike teams. Uh, he currently wrenches for Westby Racing on the side and wow. works for us also. The guy is one of the hardest work. He has an avocado farm. He has an orange farm. He has a, a vapor blaster at home. I mean, this guy has like seven jobs. Like it's the craziest <laughs> right. thing. So that aside, uh, he's at an event, I don't know, probably two months ago. And he texts me and he says, this has got to stop. Right? And, I, and I just went, what? And he goes, and in my 20, 30 years or whatever it is in motorbikes, someone just asked for my autograph because of wow. iconic motorbikes. Well, because on social media, I'm not one of those guys that really cares about being behind a camera all that much. 
I realize that my iconics only as good as the people that we have working for us. Sure. And Ollie and Steve and Angel and Daniel all have such great personalities on their own. Right. And they all have their own talents that are really good at certain things and kind of a lost art. You right. Know? Sure. Sure. You know, sure. I just, I just don't see it. I don't see the passion. Do you find it's, it, it helps if somebody is not local and they, they have to bid on something on the site, they're able to call you up or there's some mechanism where they can contact you or you're able to say, well, this bike has gone through our workshops and we know that it works in you know, thus and such a way or it will definitely start. Or So it's not like a typical auction where you're just looking at something blind and going, oh my God, I'm going to have to spend $30,000 and it might be junk. Right. I mean, well, there are listings on our on our auction site that are from abroad or another state that we never even see. Right. So, so you could no essentially idea. put a sure. bike on from okay. Africa, if you will, South Africa, if you will, because we've right. been doing that and get the bike delivered. We could help with logistics and all that. So we can't necessarily guarantee what that sure. stance of that bike is until we actually see it. Sure. We, we hope and pray that the person selling it is honest <laughs> and forthright, forth right. but you don't know. Uh, however, though, a lot of people, no matter where they are, have it come to our place first. And then that way, it's good or bad. Right. Um, sometimes we've had one situation, actually a couple situations, where the bikes were really bad, and we've helped the person out in finding another solution. Maybe they lose a little bit of money because it was something they had to have. Right. Um, it's not typically a bike that's sourced through us, but we have a really good client that sourced a bike through a gray market scenario in, in Japan. The bike arrived. The, the repair bill was higher than the bike was worth, and I found him something else. And Right. We helped him take the hit, if you will. So, but that's great. The fact that they've that you've they've got you in the background as a little bit of a backstop there, just to help out. That's huge. Said. Yeah, and I love your suggestion last night. I was thinking about it a lot overnight, and I, overnight. And as much as we do stand behind our work, the best to our that we can. Now we right. don't have to understand it. You can't always do it. I yeah, understand. I mean, that. you do the best you can, but right. sometimes, you know, let's say you bring your bike in and it needs carb work and then whatever, whatever. And, but we can't check every single thing. I can't tell you what that bike's going to do at 150 no. miles an hour after of course. <laughs> two hours on the track. I don't know. So, right. you know, we fix everything that we know about. And sometimes things come up. But, yeah, you made a point last night when we spoke about actually giving it an iconic seal of approval, which right. I do like that idea. And I think that's something I'm going to probably go with. Um, and maybe different levels or something, you know, right. whereas a sort of a bronze seal of approval or a gold seal of approval. It's like, it's, this yeah. is something that we've had and has gone through our workshops and, you know, we've reconditioned this, that and the other. Um, so this is our, you know, a platinum level iconic bike. Um, you know, we could even sort of warranty certain parts of it. Um, you know, at the bronze level, this is something that we've looked over. We know that it's correct, but we re really haven't gone through it mechanically. So... You know, yeah, it, it, it is what it is, but we do know that it's correct and that, you know, that, that there aren't bits hanging off it or, you know. I definitely like that idea. I mean, the, I'll tell you, you know, and I, I'm not trying to, you know, sling mud here or anything, but I've had scenarios at live auctions where I've yeah. actually physically looked at bikes for, I don't know, I mean, in one case, probably two hours, <laughs> right? but I, they won't let you look in the tank and everything else like that, right? right. And I, I just found this out earlier this year because I was trying to, you know, I was thinking about doing what's called Iconic Live, which is a live auction for us. Right. And there's a bunch of issues that's kind of making it difficult. COVID sure. obviously being one of them. The whole. Sure. But sure. Uh, beyond that, I found out that, uh, for one, most of Vegas is ran in Vegas because it's a buyer beware state. So they are not liable for anything that's on the bike, which right. I get that. And to the most point, so is California. But, you know, we do our best to kind of, you know, eyeball what we can. But second to that is uh, by opening the fuel tank, I'm opening up the liability of taking responsibility for what's in there and what's going on. 
Whereas if you keep it sealed, it's off the table. So I did not know that. That's yeah. So it, it is interesting, and, and what I'm trying to get at in a, in a deeper little, maybe I'm going a little deeper with it, is that I don't want to be that company. You got to kind of find a hybrid to be as much. You can't be all things to all people, but you can try to find the be the best you can to most people, and that's kind of what we're becoming. And uh, but I like that we had a really nice, if you were a collector or buyer, he rides his bikes back east. Uh, he's in Midwest, I should say. And he came in and he said, uh, one thing I love about Iconic is that every time a bike arrives to me from California, I know I can throw my leg over it and ride it. Right. And exactly. Seven or eight already. Some of them pretty high dollar. That's kind of what I'm getting at. I mean, like you say, as you originally, part of your original conversation with Abby was, you know, if I'm relying on local people that can come into the shop, you're dealing with a, a tiny percentage of the market. Right. So most people, just by the nature of modern day transactions, are going to be geographically undesirable. So if you can find a way to sort of uh, help people's faith in what in what's going on, I think that's a huge, that's a big hurdle to overcome. Um, and I think it will really differentiate you from from the rest of the auction houses. Well, I mean, to, to that regard, we are doing that now, right? So we're doing that now. And... Yeah, even on bikes that are away from us or abroad that we don't see, we have what's called an ambassador program. And okay. Yeah, so what that basically entails is it's people that we've trust, we've dealt with, dealt with before, that may have a mechanical background or a motorcycle background of some sort. Or again, we just know them from past experiences. And we will pay that person to go out and give a visual confirmation, that sort of thing. Right. So that just okay. happened on a couple of bikes from France um, that okay. uh, we had an He's an incredibly great client and a really good mate. He uh, went and checked the bikes out, gave a thumbs up, gave me his own video, checked out the paperwork, checked out the spares, the whole thing. Perfect. Nominal fee. Right. And it's worth it because when you start talking about more valuable bikes, especially these classic ones that are sought after, right. you know, it's worth it. And so you got to get eyes on it and you don't hold any, you don't hold them to anything, but the point, it's the same point as someone you trust and you know. Right. So we have the ambassador program, but... I like what you're saying. I think that uh, that could be essentially a bronze level, and then a platinum would be something that came through our shop and went through, you know, maybe two mechanics that gave, you know, that really went through it, and right. I like that. Right. Plus, yeah. So, and you know, it, it adds value and adds point to the fact that we're just always evolving, right? So we right. become what we are today because of uh, just a strong following and all the different motorbikes that have come through our doors and our fantastic staff. But we're not done. Sure. I've got sure. Four or five things in the. The oh. plate's still spinning right now, and I constantly do. Yeah. I, yeah, I, yeah. My partner is just, so there's another partner, Vic. I think you've met. Sure. Met know him well. Yeah. Yep. So uh, Vic brings a whole other level. He was a uh, one of the founder members of Houston Hillstone's restaurant chain, which is a fantastic high-end restaurant. Currently sits on the board of Gordon Ramsay's uh, fish and chip shops and things like that. So right. he's very well known in the hospitality side of things. And you may not see the correlation between that and motorbikes, but he's also owned almost every bike imaginable, especially the desirable <laughs> right. stuff. Certainly the high ones, yeah. The yeah, ones, I mean, he yeah. had the, uh, what was the jet-powered bike, the S2K? Or oh, yes, yes, yes. The one with the uh, the helicopter jet yeah, turbine engine. He had engine one of those. It. Yeah, he had yeah, one of those. I remember. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, Dick's great for that, and he brings a whole different level of clientele to us as well, which is great. Um, some of the people sure. that Vic are close to, they automatically trust him, and, you know, and he helps, and he's, a, he's, he's just a wonderful partner. So, between that... He brings the hospitality side. Abby brings the whole technology Tech, side and, and side, auction yeah. and things and the media side because he's really close with the manufacturers, which really sure. helped us. Yeah. We, did a career, we did a track day recently, which is typical iconic style track day, right? So most people say a track day. You go to a track day. It's usually at some track with 
dirt, dust, heat, right? right? And you're looking yeah. to find a water, right? I mean, right. so our track day, I booked the whole hotel because I didn't want anybody to interrupt us. So I wanted uh, Laguna Seca because I thought I've always wanted It's iconic. Water. There you have it. Yeah. Right. You owe me five bucks for that, by right. <laughs> And then uh, we had breakfast, lunch, and dinner catered. Right. And then we had a, par- a pre-party the night before. And so... And what's better than that is obvious connections brought with the um, the OEMs manufacturers. Uh, what is it? MV Agusta brought us six or seven new MVs to, for people to borrow. Honda right. gave us two bikes. Suzuki gave sure. uh, Abby and I a uh, the new Busa to ride up the coast. Yeah. So to experience what triple digits was like on PCH. Not that I would ever endorse that. But <laughs> right. <laughs> but it was fun. It was a magical trip, and everyone, including some of the really high end clients that can afford pretty much any track that they want said it was the best track day of their life of and course it, it was phenomenal yeah. so did we make any money on that nope nope not at all we lost some but it was, <laughs> right. it was fun and it was if a you're gonna lose money i mean let's have fun while you're losing it yeah that's the thing <laughs> i mean there's you know all kidding aside there is a, a marketing and value to that sort of thing too, of course right? and i do realize and i had a few people come to me afterwards saying you know adam you don't need to go to this level i had a masseuse there i mean you don't need right. to go to this level like you could right. probably have a great track day and a couple of nice things but you don't have to have <laughs> so right. i might have to find a hybrid <laughs> for the next right. one just, but just turn it down from 11. maybe yeah, yeah <laughs> right. just come back down to yeah exactly <laughs> right. right but my point is that we're always evolving into different things you know we have a patreon pro- program that's really neat too um people have the ability to help us help them and so the patreon effort is you know different levels like five twenty five one hundred dollars a month and what that entails you too is first invites to any of our track days or events right favorites or you know top of the pecking order when it comes to uh service you need to go service you're the first guy that gets in there or girl if uh, it gives you preview ability on the auction site so you can see bikes before they go up um sometimes as much as a week before and okay. you can make offers if the seller is up to that. Oh, that's smart. Yeah. Sort so, of a buy it now kind of program. Yep. And then, and then uh, it's a give back type thing too. I'm not the kind of guy that puts my hand out and doesn't give something back. And so with that yeah. said, whenever anything is given to us, we give it right back on the Patreon effort. So if Arrive, for example, gave us four free helmets, we gave back three of them already. Uh, for us, our leathers yeah. gave us a ton of leathers and jackets. We gave those away to our Patreon members. You know, it, is it, it's, it's a funny scenario because you could pay $25 a month for this and get a, you know, one guy had just signed up and he won the helmet. It was a $800, $700 helmet. Right. So, and the last part of it is uh, free parts. So okay. we can't do it with all, but if anyone gives us parts, which happens a lot, maybe you're going through your garage and you see a box of old CBR or whatever, uh, something that you had, you know, people gift them to us all the time. And so we give those back to the Patreon members. We put right. them up and then you say, hey, I want that or I could use that. And yeah, it's oh, that's really awesome. Nice. Yeah, so it's that's just- That's a great idea, I like it. It's, so it's almost gives like a sort of a club kind of feel to it. It is, yeah, and you're yeah, part of it, right? You're part of Iconic in a, in a way right. that, you know, if you're in town, you wanna to come visit us and come in, it's your place to use. Play some pool, right. have some free drinks or beers or waters right. or whatever you want. And, you know, it's just, uh, and it helps us. You know, it's sure. not a lot of money, but it's a couple thousand a month right now, and it, every bit helps because oh, it's great. not. I'll tell you this one thing I've learned, and it's, it's ironclad clear it's not a very profitable <laughs> business at, at all. <laughs> if you don't have the passion to play, if you're not really in, in it for the love and the passion of the bikes, then it, yeah. you, your money would be better spent, your time would be better spent doing. Yeah. I noticed that most of your, most of your bikes are all sort of early 70s, maybe as early as late 60s, but really nothing any earlier than that. Have you ever thought about or considered going really early? I mean, 
sort of uh, antique type of motorcycles? We're open to that. And so uh, there's a McKenna Porsche, as Danny McKenna owns the McKenna Porsche. It's a pretty good sized dealership here in, in Orange County area, okay. LA, Orange County area. They have another dealership in Hawaii. He came to us about a year or so ago uh, with his whole collection, wanted us to sell it, 30 to some odd bikes. Okay. And of that collection, there was probably 14 or 15 really old bikes. There was a 1915 Harley. There was a, sure. uh, a Flying Merkel, which is like a 1918. Sure. There were some other bikes that I can't even remember the name of. <laughs> but right. same, same genre, like that same 1912, 1920 kind of thing. Sure. And I told him, I said, you know, Danny, I said, I'm not sure that our following will resonate with this. I didn't, I didn't know, you know. And I have to tell you, we generated over $400,000 in sales for him in about five weeks, most of which were those bikes. Wow. So, yes, we are most certainly open to those. We're open to anything. Like, sure. You know, and I think you've noticed recently, uh, we're even doing some cars. Put that Testarossa up. It didn't, it got really close to reserve, but he wanted a premium. It was a phenomenal example. And we couldn't get to what he needed out of the car. Uh, sure. I think the value that we it, it attained on our auction site was more than fair. But, you know, the, the seller has the right to make whatever price he wants. And um, value is so subjective to each person. It is. It and, really you know, is. and there's certain uh, platforms, you know, bring a trailer does really well with that, especially in the car okay. stuff. And so, you know, but we need that. It's not a matter of just want. It's a matter of need. Uh, you know, as much as it's phenomenal to, for the seller and the buyer that we operate on like a 7% buyer's fee, if we don't see the bike, well, you take a $5,000 bike, that's $350. That doesn't turn up, keep the lights on. So, right. We need to kind of do those sort of things. We've been dabbling with memorabilia for a bit, and that's done really well. Oh, okay. Yeah, we've done leathers yeah. and helmets and sign sure. things, and that's done exceptionally well. You know, we had a LED Honda sign on a couple, uh, actually it wasn't even that, a few days ago. And um, it was funny because the seller says, hey, Adam, just give me $1,000 for this neon <laughs> sign. And I kept telling him, I was like, you know, you're going to do better on the auction site. Just give me 1000 and I'm fine. I said, I'm telling you right now, I'll give you the 1000 but I know it's going to do a lot better than that. Right. Because I'm just that guy. I'd rather have to help the right. guy out. Well, it went for over $4,000. So <laughs> right. needless to say, he's tickled pink. Yeah. Know? And we make a nice little commission on something that just came as came through. But so, yeah, we're constantly sure. trying, putting our toe in the water on different business. Yeah. And memorabilia is going to stick around. Anything and everything motorcycles. I mean, really. Yeah. And like, I, I would almost go to say anything, you know, motor related. You know, like I said, the cars. Right. You know, we've had a couple of guys mention airplanes, which... You know, maybe we'll look at that next year. But, you know, I mean, when I first thought about doing this, and you can relate with your background, I wanted to be a Donald Directory kind of scenario. Is it Donald? No, no. Is it Donald Directory? Not the Rob Report. What's the other one with has the... Uh, the DuPont Registry. DuPont, I beg your pardon. DuPont right. Registry. I wanted to be a DuPont Registry, but motor, motorbike focused with the fact that you could buy and sell anything on there. So I kind sure. of like that with a classified, but an online version of it. Which, again, I know they already do that, but more of a... Every day, you know, kind of man's website, if you will, man's sure. website. And so, yeah, you could eventually might see a watch on there. You might see sort of things like sure. that. Actually, I beg your pardon. We did a Nikki Hayden watch, I think, three weeks ago, and it did exceptionally well. Right. Yeah, it did really well. It was funny. Well, Nikki Hayden, sure. Yeah, sure. yeah. And then, you know, and speaking of, you I'm know. Uh, kind I'm of big... surprised you didn't buy that to go with your Arian Honda. Yeah. <laughs> the, the that bike's really special bike. to me. That right. Bike is, that bike is really, I've been offered six figures for that bike a couple different times because it was, in fact, Nikki's bike that he rode at Laguna Seca. Right. And, uh, no, it's just, 
the whole backbone yeah. of the company is based on just that positive kind of karma vibe. Right. That bike is priceless to me. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's the one bike that I'll just never sell. And not, it's one of those, it'll go with Iconic. If someday Iconic gets sold or something like that, then that bike can go with the company. But otherwise, right. it'd stick around. So. Right, right, right. So I guess that almost preempts my next question. I was going to say, what is Adam Trump's holy grail? Or do you already have it? Um, I'll tell you, the list of bikes is that I've, <laughs> I've long and distinguished. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I have to. I mean, it's far and beyond what I ever imagined at this point. Okay. And uh, you know, I, I'm a big Bomoda fan, right? Okay. Which is funny because people didn't seem to care much about Bomoda a few years ago, and I don't know if it's because I'm always pushing them so much, and I don't do that intentionally. I just love them, right? I think right. I just love the CNC work. I'm a, I like Ducati a lot. I like the Ducati motors, even though some of them have different motors. I'm a huge TLR fan. So you give me an SB8R, RS, give it all day. <laughs> RK or 8K especially, like the Santa Monica version. I love those bikes. So I've had the opportunity to ride most of those, and I just never thought. So I don't know. I mean, at this point, I'd say I would do almost anything to ride a Britain. Ah, but you know okay. the value of those now is you know on the third cover of the magazine we sold one um we had the buyer um who i think he probably wants to stay anonymous but uh but i got to follow him he said he said i will buy this bike provided it runs <laughs> and so the seller got it running had a guy get it running and we ended up at button willow privately for the day and with the Briton, and I didn't get to ride it, but I got to follow him around on it. <laughs> I was riding my GSXR 1000, following this guy on this Briton, and it was pretty glorious. I got to tell you, it was really neat. It's just the, the story behind it, the bike itself. Yeah, you know, I mean, performance-wise, compared to new bikes, it's you know, it doesn't even really compare. But right. the fact of what it did at the time against the big OEMs that are basically yeah. at that point especially there was no budgets you know you can do anything that's back when right you know NR750 I mean they were spending tons of money on the, uh, money on these things and so yeah for that reason and mainly that reason that bike is probably the pinnacle of all bikes I did meet someone at Barber that has one and he rode it on a yeah. track with Barber brought theirs out so they did a okay you know, I met him spent some time talking to him for a while but yeah I would say that um you know more than that, and this kind of might run as a surprise to a lot of people, I actually have this crazy desire, passion for classic race bikes. So, okay. Yeah, to throw my leg over the bike that maybe Scott Russell rode, you know, when right. I was a kid, or, or a Ben Bostrom, or one of those bikes, the actual bike, though, you know, set up right. like he had it, even if he is half my weight and half my, <laughs> or two-thirds my height, that right. to me is actually the biggest dream, because there's no end to it when that, right? So... Right. I've already been in the RC30s, RC45s, all these things, and it's phenomenal, and, and I'll always want to ride those. But I've, you know, I want to ride Buckmaster's bike, and I want to ride, right. you know, just these great guys that I right. looked up to and saw these posters on the wall, and just went, I want to try that. And I, I've ridden a, a few of them, a handful, one or two, and there is a big difference in my experience. I remember I rode uh, Jake Zemke and Miguel Duhamel's uh, 600 Super Sport bikes. Um, from sort of, you know, back in the day. This was in the uh, mid-2000s. And even just as pretty stock, I mean, not stock, not even close to stock, but as supposedly standard super sport bikes with just nice suspension and really well set up, and they were at a different level. 
completely oh, okay. different it's level. funny how they call those bikes stock though right, it, right yeah I mean, it's, an, it's a joke oh i, mean, I know it's like come on but stock but yeah, it's but, like, yeah. I mean, it may look stock but let me tell you something right. those internals everything inside that motor is just right. dialed in blueprinted and perfect and exactly and i'm sure that's the reason why those guys are so much faster than i am because they've got the special bikes <laughs> right yeah yes. that's exactly what it is that's yeah. like you're telling myself as well <laughs> Yeah, so that's kind of my bucket listing now. So, you know, as I mentioned to you earlier, I've been working on these bikes out of France for a while. These bikes, uh, one of which in particular went, ran Isle of Man, which to me is the quintessential. That, yeah. That is as good as it gets. And, and what bike is that? It is an RC45. Right. And uh, there's two of them. Right. So we just acquired those. Yes. And Gorgeous. I just confirmed just this morning that payment was received. The guy, I didn't negotiate with the guy because I thought it was a fair price. Right. And uh, he decided to throw in, gosh, I don't even know, half a container for his spares. So the beauty about this now is not only do I get to try these out, and not only will I sell them and ideally make something so that Iconic can stay around, <laughs> right. but imagine all the people with RC45s that might need some of those spares. Right. So that's also a, a nice little, you know. That's awesome. Yeah, it's wonderful. It's really neat. And they've just been sitting in somebody's place for a long time, and I've kind of pulled them out. But that kind of goes holds true to most of the collections and things that we have, right? So sure. you've seen it. You've yeah. seen how many zero-mile bikes we, we have come through our sure. place. Yeah. And i got to tell you, nothing makes my heart fuller than when someone says, hey, do me a favor. We commission it. What's it going to cost? Well, it's going to cost you like 1500 bucks for tires and carbs. and, go th and <laughs> if, we don't find, if we don't run into anything problematic. I know that number because we do so many of them. Right. But it's so cool. Here I am, Adam. I'm riding that zero mile whatever, and I just put the first 50, 60, 100 miles on. I'm like, oh, yeah. It's just cool. Yeah, this that's really, really cool. And it's not just cool because the bike's getting broken out and used, uh, broken out of the storage or whatever, but it's also cool because it's almost like taking a time machine back and having that chance to buy that bike that you couldn't afford at that right. age. Right. right? So For sure. How great would that be? Yeah. Yeah, you yeah, give yeah. me the chance to... Here's that zero mile RC30, $10,000 when I was 20 years old. Forget it. <laughs> right. You gotta be kidding yes. me. Like, I, I yes, did might as well I, have been a million dollars. Oh my gosh. Right. Yeah, I, I, I might as well have been. I remember, like, I'll go on a tangent real quick. I remember I wanted a ZX7 so bad and I had no money. I'm working freight docks at night, I'm busting tables. <laughs> I had literally three jobs to buy this bike. I still couldn't figure it out. I ended up going to a company <laughs> called Model Finance at 22% interest. And the only way I could make the payment was I had a Mervyn's credit card. Like, that, remember that store, Mervyn's? Right. Yeah. And I would go buy stuff with my Mervyn's card, and I would take the item back, and they'd give me all the cash back. <laughs> so, and so, and, and you couldn't just get it back, like, take it back and get the full cash. You had to buy something in exchange. So you could go buy a coat for $100, and then you could... I want to take this coat back, but I want a pair of socks. Right. <laughs> and then I'll get $94 back. Okay. Oh my God, I can make the payment on my Z7. I'm okay. <laughs> and here's the best part is if I had a really good month, if I was busting tables or I worked a little bit more hours on the casual freight dock at nighttime, yeah. I had a little bit of money. No, I wouldn't pay down to bike more. I'd run on Arcal Racing on Huntington Beach and say, hey, how much for those muzzy camps? Or how much for <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just, it was just a fun time and it's just really happy memories and Right. I think, you know, to wrap it up, I mean, bikes as a whole have just been that, it's been the one thing that I can always rely on that I'm going to have a good time with. You're an incredibly just passionate guy. And it's such a cliche to say, oh, yeah, we're all about passion. And everybody says that, oh, we're passionate. But really, I really feel that with just everything, and not just you, but just the whole company just exudes that crazy passion for for just motorcycles and, and the history of it and the the whole sport of it. It's just, it's great. I absolutely love what you're doing. Incredibly it's awesome. Idea. It means a lot coming from you. Yeah. It really does. I, 
We get so many nice emails and letters and cards and things and gifts sent to us and people buying us lunch. It's just, I can tell that it works. And that's, yeah. that's important. It is. I, I just hope that one day it's profitable. <laughs> it, it, it's going to get there. <laughs> it, 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 it definitely will. Like I say, I think, I think it's a very smart play. Yeah. I think you're in, in the right place at the right time. It was, the market is right to be consolidated, to have a trusted resource right in the middle as the sort of the linchpin. So collectors can go, you know what? If we know we can trust Iconic, you know, if, if I need to sell my collection or I really have got this crazy idea to buy something that I really can't quite afford or I don't want to afford it, but I know if I get it from Iconic, I'm actually going to get what I want and get my money's worth. Um, and I think that's that's a very valuable thing. I, yeah, so, I think so I congratulate you. I think it's you're in the right place at the right time and you're doing it right. We're going to keep trying and keep working and you know, I use the term stacking dimes a lot. We're going to keep stacking dimes so that we can cover the overhead and expand. Right. Because you know how it is. As in any entrepreneur, you have to put everything right back into it all right. the time. And so right. everything it makes goes right back into it. And so, yeah, yeah I think, yeah. Uh, yeah. And even if it doesn't work, you've still got that Mervyn's credit card. I, I, I don't think I do have that any longer. No, I, it, it, uh, you know what? I mean, on a, all kidding aside, if it didn't work, I've made an amazing collection of mates for the rest of my life. Right. I've ridden bikes that I never thought I'd have a right. chance to ride. And uh, I have some bikes now that I just adore. Right. And, and again, I mean, more so than anything else, the relationships are, are just key. It's phenomenal. It's all yeah. good. Yeah. Thank you so much. Really appreciate You're welcome. it. Em. Thanks for coming all the way out to the East Coast for me. That was cool. All right. It's a long trip. <laughs> <laughs> In the second segment, editor Don Williams talks to me about the Benelli Leoncino. It's a Chinese-built, Italian-designed 500cc parallel twin, and it actually holds several surprises. Perhaps not what you think. I hope you enjoy this segment. So I guess we're going to talk about the Benelli this week. What's, uh, what's the sitch? Yeah, there's uh, Benelli has had the Leoncino which I hope I'm pronouncing right. It means little lion in Italian. They've had this motorcycle uh, for a few years in uh, Asia and other uh, markets, but they've brought it to the United States for the first time. And it's, it's a 500 twin, double overhead cam. It uses a motor that uh, their Chinese owners have been using in various motorcycles over the years. And Benelli, for the people that don't know, and it's a very complicated, uh, explanation i'd refer you to our website review of, of this bike uh is owned by a, a giant uh company in china now the motorcycles are designed in italy but they are manufactured in china and uh a little side note that most people probably wouldn't know is that the guy who owns the company the, the big the big kahuna of uh, the company that owns benelli also is on the board of volvo and is the majority owner of volvo Wow, heavy hitter, huh? Yeah, these are people who know how to manufacture and are involved in, in real vehicles. So it's not like Benelli is owned by some scooter company and they're they're punching above their weight trying to build something that they can't build. The company that they're owned by has made the larger motors, one of the few larger displacement motor builders in China. So uh, it has a motor that we've seen before. It was in both of the TRK adventure bikes that we've tested, and we liked it in that. It's It's a good motor twin uh, cylinder double red cam or valves per cylinder just kind of what you'd expect liquid cool electric start all the things that you 
expected a motor. And uh, the motor performs well. It's got an extraordinarily flat torque curve. And at about 5,000 RPM, which is about halfway to the red line, it starts to take off pretty good. Uh, it's a little slower on the uh, lower RPM, but part of that is because the motorcycle is incredibly overbuilt. And that's kind of the focus of what I want to talk about with the Benelli Leoncino. It's a heavy motorcycle. It's heavier than the Honda CB500F, which is interestingly only $300 more than the Benelli. So with the Benelli Leoncino, Benelli's not trying to to coax you into buying their motorcycle because, well, it's only $3,000 or $4,000 and it's considerably cheaper than the alternative. It's actually right in the same price range as the, as the Honda alternative. So they're, they're having to go head to head with the Honda with no uh, excuses for price or anything else. And for the price, just trying to go in at the, just going on quality rather than price. Interesting. Yeah. Not necessarily quality, but it's a, it's a different motorcycle. And it's an interesting motorcycle. I, I wouldn't say it's hard for me to judge the quality. I'm not an engineer. Uh, all I can do is ride the bike. And I can say in the, the three modern 500s that we've ridden from Benelli, they're all, as I said, incredibly overbuilt. And what I mean by that is that they have like a heavy frame, heavy everything. And probably the, the one piece of the puzzle that most tells you something about this motorcycle is that like the uh, adventure bikes that are its brothers, it has 50 millimeter inverted forks. Now, 50 millimeter inverted forks might not mean much to you until you realize, until Whoa. you realize, <laughs> well, not everybody knows what that number means. It's the, the, me. the sliders size yeah. uh, diameter. But okay. what really, you need to know is that a Ducati Street Fighter V4 has 43 millimeter inverted forks. So this bike has beefier, bulkier, bigger fork than the Ducati Street Fighter V4. And that's a bike with a lot more horsepower, a lot more demands, and a lot more everything than the Benelli uh, 500 Leoncino. So what that means though is, is a lot. The frame is very rigid, strong, muscular. Uh, it's a perimeter tube and trellis. Uh, it's got a tubular swing arm arcing, really beautiful. All the stuff looks really cool. And as a result, the handling of the Leoncino is incredibly confidence inspiring. If you go into a corner, and it's got Angel uh, Pirelli Angel GT tires. So those are high-end tires for a motorcycle of this, of this type, especially from China. Right. Uh, when you go into a corner, it feels like the front end is just glued to the ground. Now, part of it is because it's heavy, <laughs> but there's no flex anywhere. And those that fork assembly is just not, at 50 millimeters, It's you could put that on a BMW GS, you know, 1250 GS, and it'd be fine. Are the forks branded anything? Are they sort of branded Marzocchi or? Nope, no name, no adjustment. They're just there. Okay. And uh, I would guess that they make them themselves or maybe they have some, you know, some co local company that makes them. But I'll get to the performance in a moment. But when you go into a corner and you ride the bike, you feel more confident in the front end than you can possibly imagine. 
because there's no sort of vague feeling if you hit a little irregularities. There's no, you know, there's not going to be any kind of side flex. Those that four, those four tubes are just not going anywhere. And as a result, it makes the Leoncino a great bike for a new rider because the new rider is always going to feel a little nervous. So oh, the friend's doing this, the friend's doing that. The friend doesn't do anything on this bike other than go where you point it. Now, the, the, the downside for somebody like to you or even me to a certain extent is that the bike isn't especially agile in the corner or when riding switching directions. It wants to go pretty straight. It's not a cruiser, but it's certainly more interested in going straight than a, a typical sport bike. But again, for a novice rider, that's a good thing. You want them to have to put the effort in to turn, but also feel like, wow, this isn't good. I'm not losing the fender. Oh, what was that? Or what happened? Everything feels completely solid and secure and matching the fork action and the, uh, the uh, rigid frame is the suspension is fairly firm and nicely damped and sprung there's not when you go over let's say a bumpy corner you feel it it moves but it moves in a very measured way it's not plush but it's not harsh in any way and it's not bouncing you around in any way so it's not like it's under damped or over damped or undersprung or under oversprung. It's all put together in such a way that it's just very firm. And so you go into the corner. If there's if it's a smooth corner, it's just like magic. The bike just feels so good. Just, mm. If you, if it's a little bumpier, the bike moves, but it always still feels like that front end is just locked to the ground. When people talk about bike corners like it's on rails, this bike feels like it's on three rails. It is just not going to give in. It's, it's hard to imagine losing the front end unless you hit oil or something on, on that bike. And it's a really, it's a really cool feeling. Well, actually, speak, speaking of speaking of feeling, with it with it built that solid and with that solid of a front end, does it lack feeling? I mean, you know, with sort of early BMW telelever, uh, you know, front ends, I, there was some criticism that it just all felt a bit wooden. Does, doesn't the Benelli come across as just a bit wooden to you if it's that solid? No, it's not solid in the way that like the, a paralever is where it's, it doesn't have a fork. You know, it's like where the suspension is up here and there's these big, long, solid pieces going down to the wheel. You know, it, it feels still like a normal fork. It doesn't feel, there's nothing weird about it or uh, strange in its operation. It's just kind of unusual in its ability to give you a secure feeling. Yeah, uh, it's just kind of the opposite. Like, let's say you went out on a sport bike and it had a 23 millimeter fork, and it would, the front end would be wobbling all over the place. You'd be going, "Oh wow, I'm getting a lot of feeling." Yes, I don't like this feeling. On this one, I, for me, and I'm not as sensitive to feeling as somebody who would ride a Ducati Street Fighter V4, like like say you or even Nick. I, it has enough feeling for me. I never, you know, I didn't feel. Uh, estranged from the road ever. I always felt like it's just locked in. It's going where I want. Uh, as I said, the suspension is kind of firm, so you definitely get feedback. You know, if you go over a bumpy portion or pothole, you feel it, but you don't get any kind of spike. You don't get any kind of bounce. You don't get any sort of odd behavior. You just you get a, just a well-damped, good feeling going through. It's really magical like i said it's it's a feeling i've never had before and i i think it's one that anybody any manufacturer could deliver if they were willing to make a bike that was like 60 or 70 pounds more than the competition and that would be why you know honda 
uh, you know, which the fork on the uh, CB500F is is not an inverted fork. It's an old traditional fork, and it doesn't have you know, it's it's not adjustable. It it, it feels good. The Honda is just so much more of an agile bike. And so things move this, this this way. But if you're a new rider, I think you don't really want agile. You want a bike that is stolid and says, I'm just going to go here and we're going to be safe. Nothing strange is going to happen. And you know you're going to make it to the end of the corner. The bike's not going to bounce out of the way or you're not going to overcorrect or undercorrect. You're just going to go. And uh, it's it's qu quite interesting. And even for, you know, non um non-new riders even for sort of expert level riders but perhaps you know in an urban type environment or or you know just commuting or what have you um and you you know it sounds like you can just get on the bike and it's sort of a no-brainer to ride it it's like hey i'm just going to commute into work and i will arrive at the other end correct and one of the things that will help me get to the other end is the incredible braking another over <laughs> over build on the bike is it has two 300 millimeter discs up front, four piston calipers, they're uh, branded Benelli, and they're radial mounted. I mean, these brakes, super soft engagement, so that if you're just riding around slow or you, you know, normal, you just, you know, you pull in the uh, brake lever, it engages, you know, not abruptly at all, uh, not super slow, not like, oh, wait, what's nothing's happening, you know, I need to keep pulling, but it does it in a completely intuitive manner. Yet, if you want to get on the front brake, you can get on the front brake, and there's a lot of braking going on there. I mean, that's just an inordinate amount of braking for the performance of the bike. Yeah, I assume it does come with ABS, the brakes. Yeah, ABS is standard with a brake. I never test the front ABS intentionally. I'm not that brave, because if it doesn't work, I'm screwed. But uh, it, 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 I was able to brake really hard on it with a lot of traction of that uh, Pirelli Angel GT tire, and it, it it never complained. It was great. I mean, the braking is great on that bike, and even though it's a little heavier than the CB five hundred F, or you know, noticeably heavier, it's not that much heavier than you know a bigger bike. So it would have the same sort of front braking system. So it's 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 just one of those things that you just go, well, yeah, I wonder what was going on in the head of those guys. It, I, you know, I talked about it with Nick because Nick has ridden the bike too. You could easily put a thousand cc motor in that chassis with no problem, and it would <laughs> feel great. It might even feel better. Who knows? You know, usually when you add more horsepower, you degrade the handling and you make things not as good as they were with less horsepower. In this case, I think the bike actually would benefit from having a one thousand cc engine. And in uh, China, and again, the markets that they they service, uh, they do have. An 800. They have a new Liancino 800. I'd love for them to bring that over here because I think that I know that there's room in that chassis for an 800cc uh, amount of power. No, no question about it. That's quite interesting. So, so essentially, they've built a a chassis and and the various ancillary components ready for bigger motors as and when they decide to come up with a with a bigger motor to put in there. It's almost almost like they're saying, you know, here's a modular approach. Let's build a chassis that we know is really good. And, you know, we can just put, put different size motors in there. It doesn't really matter. That's kind of a kind of an interesting idea. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if that's what they're thinking or, you know, uh, but it certainly is possible. 
And I'd like them to put that 800 motor into the adventure bikes too, because the adventure bikes are even heavier and they feel even more of the effects of the weight on just having a 500, even though those bikes ran good. And, uh, you know, we rode them, we compared it to a Honda CB 500 X, uh, you know, adventure bike and it hung right with them. So it's, it's a good motor and the motor wise, uh, again, like I said, the, the, the torque curve is flat. It's almost like not a curve. It's just like you have the same amount of torque, just a little bit up above idle all the way to red line, uh, power, the horsepower gains in a uh, linear manner, uh, kind of pumps up a little bit extra at 5,000 RPM. And that could just be the way the ECU is tuned that it allows for, for your revving up there. It's, the bike's never fast because again, there's, it's a 500 that, you know, weighs a lot, but it, it, it goes good enough. And, it, and certainly if you're a novice, it's great. That motor is a great match because you have that lower intensity in the bottom half of the power band makes it easy to ride. I'm learning how to ride. I have this incredibly confidence inspiring chassis and front end and braking. And so I can ride at the lower RPM and feel good. And then as you get better, you can start to poke your nose up in the upper half and it's like, oh, it's going pretty good. Oh, it's pretty fun. Oh wow, what's this corner like faster than I thought I could. So there's a lot the the thing about this motorcycle is it's like one of the best motorcycles for a new rider that is imaginable because it has these features that are completely unique to it. Uh, this it has six-speed transmission. Uh, Kelly actually complained that the transmission is too slick. <laughs> like you shift up and you kind of don't get any feedback from the, the you know, the opposite of a Harley where it goes clunk. This is just like, it's not even a snick. It just changes gears. <laughs> it's almost like a quick shifter, but not a quick shifter. Wow. And, and I, it's, it's that, you know, it's when people say the buttery smooth transmission, this transmission is buttery smooth and it's soft butter. It's butter that's been left out on the stove for a while. <laughs> One little fly in the ointment, I, I suppose, is that yes, that you have these Chinese bikes and you have these odd things. Is the clutch is notchy. Now, I don't know if somebody abused the clutch before I got to it or if it's always that way, although I can't really imagine somebody abusing the clutch on that bike. But it's a you know ground. It's not you're not riding. You don't really notice it. But when you're riding around town, and it's a great city bike, just totally fun to ride. As you're, you know, it, going away from every stop, as you let it loose, there's a little notchiness in the in the action of the clutch. When you say notchy, you mean when you let it out and it's and the clutch starts to bite. There's a there's a step or there's a little stutter in the action. It's like the t -t 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 -t, you know. It's not like it's like you know you can you can feel it through the through the lever and a little bit in the bike just it's not going out smoothly uh, it's like the plates are not separating in a smooth matter it's like they're they're catching on something i see okay you know as they as the clutch expands so i'm not you know again you'd have to pull the clutch to find out so it lurches just a little bit yeah lurching is like an over example it's just something you feel Okay. okay. You feel this, you have a sense of it not being smooth. You know, it's instead of it being smooth, right? It's just like you feel this kind of unevenness as it, as it comes out. And the, the addendum to that is that the, the clutch is way stiffer than it should be. Again, for a 9 of August rider, once it's soft clutch, and I'll again compare it to the Honda CB500F, that has a slip and assist clutch. And with that assist function, the clutch feels like nothing. Like you just pull on it. It's like, is this really attached to anything? On the Benelli, it's attached. 
and it has a much harder clutch pull than than anything in its class. And uh, again, if you're out riding in the canyons where you're not shifting that much, you're not going to notice it that much. But if you ride around town, eventually it starts to get, you know, it fatigues you. And this is where if they want to do some R&D in that motor, they need to get with the program of assisted slip clutches. Yeah. Those are becoming almost the standard and they're a great function. I mean, that assist function is genius. You know, whatever guy, whatever engineer somewhere figured out that idea of using, uh, you know, engine torque to assist the uh, pulling in the clutch that, you know, that's, that's torque well spent on, you know, keeping your hand from getting worn out. You know, it, in, in the whole sense of the motorcycle, I'd say that the clutch is, is the one weak link, and I don't know what the solution would be. Uh, and it would cost you probably more than 500 bucks difference between that and the Honda CB500F. The other thing that's interesting is the ergonomics, again, designed by uh, in Italy, but you never know what happens in the translation from design to the actual production. Right. Uh, it feels like it's designed for two different guys. The bottom half of the bike is fairly compact. Your legs are up. It feels like it's for a smaller rider. But the top half has really wide handlebar and very upright position, very roomy. So you have this kind of roomy top end and compact lower end. And so a smaller rider, will their legs will feel just right. But they'll feel like there's a long reach to the, the, the grips. Whereas a taller rider will say, man, I'd like a little bit more leg room. So it's just a little strange inconsistency of the bike uh that wide handlebar i think is there to help with the fact that the bike is so solid in handling so designed desire to go straight it gives you more leverage to make it turn i mean it's not gonna you have to force the bike to turn it turns but it's it's just more reluctant to turn and wants to be wants you to feel good about it and the wide handlebar makes it easier to turn and requires you to put in less effort than you would if, if that bike had you know relatively narrow bars like you it would be it would then be hard to turn you know yes turning is a lot of leaning but it's still input into the into the grips that make a difference just to initiate the turn it you know it helps if you've got a, a little more leverage at the bars right but once the turn is initiated and the bike is actually turning then obviously it's all about lean angle and you know and at some degree body english and all kinds of things yeah. Um, well, that's interesting. Okay. Another thing that's kind of interesting about it, uh, I can't decide whether, you know, the, again, it's, it's like it's pretty good, but it's not as good as it could be, is the dash. The dash is an LCD. It's not a TFT, unfortunately, because the TFTs, I'm starting to get spoiled when I don't see them. I'm thinking, oh, it's kind of prehistoric looking. But the design of the, of the dash is pretty good. Uh, it's got gear position. It's got a tachometer that you don't really need. Uh, it's has ambient temperature, which is nice. And it's the one thing that's a little odd about it is it has a fuel gauge that is wildly inconsistent. It's always going up or down. It's not like I'm used to, you know, this is like something we don't have to deal with anymore. It, you know, if you're par parked on a hill, all of a sudden you have less gas. You park a little bit downhill, oh, you have, you're, you're full. As you go, you accelerate, it sometimes will change. And it'll go from half to almost empty really quick. And this was a, another problem that was inherited also from the, the TRK Adventure bikes. Whereas you'd be like half gas and all of a sudden you're like, oh no, I need to get gas. I'm almost out. <laughs> and you never really knew what it what the position was or how much gas was in it. And so now I remember uh, one of the first stories I edited for uh, 
Robertport motorcycle and it was Jeff Buchanan wrote a review of the Ducati Multistrada at the time. And it had some very oddly unreliable fuel gauge where it would go from half to, oh, to blinking empty just directly. <laughs> so it had like the worst sensor of all time. And it would always be like, oh, I'm doing good. I don't have to worry about gas for a while. I was like, oh my God, I need to get gas right now. <laughs> so this bike isn't quite that bad, but it's still not good. And also the, uh, like the TRK, the standard TRK Adventure 502, it seems to have a wildly optimistic speedometer. And I have a theory about this. Optimistic as in it reads faster than you're going? Yeah. I mean, I was going an S, it was going, I was going an indicated 87 on the freeway. Uh, and every, everybody's flying past you. <laughs> so, yeah. Some electric car guy went by me at like pretty, pretty quickly. He was like zooming right by. So he had a really big dash that I could look at. So I looked at his dash and his, his, his car said 82. So at 87, I'm getting passed quickly by a guy who's going only 82 miles an hour. Right. So unless there's, I'm like in some kind of twilight zone situation. And, and it, this, again, this was the problem that was on the TRK 502 also, that it was just way off. And I have this theory that the calibration of the, of the dash and the front wheel is based on the TRK 502X, which is their more adventure bike. It has a 19-inch front wheel. So I think that the calibration is for a 19-inch front wheel, even though this bike has a 17-inch front wheel. Right, which is therefore spinning a bit faster, right? Yeah, so, so I, I think that's the problem, that, that they, they calibrated for that 19-inch wheel and they just use it on other bikes and they didn't even think about it. <laughs> so it's, 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 you know, you just kind of, I mean, personally, when I ride, I very rarely look at the speed I'm going. I just don't care. Right. It's like I'm basing my speed on what I think is safe, the people around me, the situation, and it doesn't really matter how fast I'm going. And that's, I've never got a speeding ticket, so I must be doing something right. Right. And, uh, you know, I, it's better than looking down. You're better off looking at traffic than you are looking down to see what number is showing. That's, that's true. You know, it's there if you need it. What I can tell you is, is having received multiple speed speeding tickets throughout my entire riding career, when, when the cop says to you, do you know what speed you were going? And you turn around and go, no, I haven't got a clue. It doesn't go down well. Um, but, <laughs> but anyway, all right. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I mean, I would actually take this opportunity and say, well, officer, I, I try to always ride at a safe speed and not what the speedometer tells me. I base it on, you know, the conditions because, you know, sometimes the speed limit would be way too fast and other times it'd be way too slow. So, you know, I, I, I'm not too concerned about that. I'm all about safety, aren't you? <laughs> well, good luck with that. Yeah, well, I, like I said, I, I, I'm always have a pretty good sense of where the cops are, and that's why I go. I not it's not that I don't speed; it's just that I don't speed when they're around. Right. So you know, that's that's uh, that's that's how I get away with it. All right. The the big takeaway of the uh, Benelli Liancino is that it's an amazing bike for novice, and when you look at the bike, because it's very stylish, it's a mixture of retro and futuristic, so it kind of has this has this retro tank, retro headlight, but it's got the tubular uh, perimeter frame and the tubular swing arm that arcs, which is beautiful. It's got the uh, rear fender that's mounted to the, you know, the little piece that uh, for the license plate and the lights that's mounted to the swing arm. The uh, rear fender and the front fender are bobbed. You know, it's, it's, it's really cool looking. The bike, it's got a nice looking exhaust. 
the right side of the motor looks pretty pretty good. It has some, the side cases have some nicely inscribed Benelli Lancino parts on them. Looks really good. The left side of the motor you don't ever want to see. It's 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 pretty 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 ugly and and weird looking, but the right side looks good. So whenever you you see somebody you want to impress, I'll always make sure they're on the right side of the bike. <laughs> okay. The thing, and I can't emphasize this enough is it's it's kind of too bad that Benelli's uh, a you know something of a fringe brand these days because a novice is probably not going to know a Benelli. A Benelli buyer is likely to be somebody who remembers Benelli from the '70s because that was kind of their heyday. And they've, you know, they've made bikes since then, but they've never really been as big as I say, I would say they were in the seventies. And, you know, that's a brand that they know it's a kind of a cool semi-exotic Italian brand. You certainly st stand out by riding it. And, you know, they say, want to be cool and you get to be cool for 6,200 bucks. And that's not bad. You don't often get to have a really cool exotic Italian bike for $6,200. I mean, they have those three, that 300 twin and the 604. I think you wrote that, Arthur. And those bikes don't come off as exotic. They just come off as strange. And this bike looks good. You know, the designing in uh, in Italy was really done nice. And the execution by the Chinese is done, done well enough. And it just is a cool looking bike. But a, a novice would love riding this bike. A novice would could learn a lot from riding this bike. Uh, and they'll probably never hear of the bike and they probably won't have a dealer nearby or they won't have the confidence to buy one because they don't know anything about it. Uh, their friends know anything about it. But I, and if you're listening to this podcast, if you have a friend and they're wanting to get into the sport and there's a Benelli dealer near you, have them give it a try because it's, 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 a, it's a, it was very unexpected. You know, I didn't have, I don't know what the bike was going to be like when I rode it. I mean, I had a, a little hints from the adventure bikes which i liked but i just you know you never know on a on a brand like this what you're going to get and what i got was not anything like i expected and i'd say it's better way better so novices will like it but uh how about you know sort of intermediates i mean probably really truly expert level riders or, or perhaps you know older guys that are maybe you know coming back down um off big bikes and they want something a little a little smaller but they still want to, you know, get into somewhat of an exotic brand and uh, don't can't find themselves buying a sort of a generic, you know, what have you. So, you know, will this bike keep them satisfied or is it just strictly a novice bike? No, it's not a novice bike at all. But you have to come to terms with the fact that it's not a quick handling agile motorcycle. If you want a bike where you're flicking it through the turns and jamming in the corner and cr cranking it on a dime, you're going to constantly be fighting and disappointed with a motorcycle. If you're the kind of guy who likes to have, you know, a lot of corner speed and come in a good clip and lean in and, and get on the throttle early and get out, you're going to like it a lot more. You're going to say, wow, I feel really good about this. I can keep kind of pushing a little bit faster. I can, the bike never feels like it's going to do anything. You know, it's not going to wobble. I don't feel like I need a steering damper. I just, I'm good. So it, as with any motorcycle, it has to match your riding personality for it to be successful with you. And, uh, right. you know, like it's kind of the, the exact opposite of a Ducati monster, which is very nervous. And the bikes, those bikes twitch and to some degree, depending on what, you know, which ones, especially the smaller ones, really quick, quick handling motorcycles that can get you into trouble if you don't 
tell it the, if you tell it the wrong thing, it will do the wrong thing and you will wish it had. Right. Whereas in this bike, right. it will, you said, if you go, oh, I'm going to turn really hard. It's like, it's like, no, 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 no. We don't need to do that. Just calm down. We're going to get through the corner and it, it will do it. Yeah. I mean, I mean, certainly expert riders do appreciate predictability without it being ponderous, but, but they like, everybody likes a, an easy to ride, predictable, you know, intuitive motorcycle. And it really sounds like like this is it, other than you know the heavy clutch. Uh, but again, an expert level motorcycle guy is going to be quite happy with clutches, gear changes, um, and especially with the gearbox being as good as it is, you can save your effort on on the clutch anyway. Right, and the bike is is comfortable. You know, to ride all day. Yeah, the, your your legs are up a little bit more than you might like, but it's it's not it's not onerous they're not they're, your feet aren't too far back to really put you in like any kind of weird position okay. definitely a, 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 a upright stance that you're on and so you feel you feel good about it right and you can ride around town all day long as long as you as long as your hands up to it the everything else is good it sounds it really sounds like you like the bike it, it does yeah i mean from a journalist standpoint i really like it because it surprised me and that's that's kind of the coolest thing you know it's like oh wow it's nothing you know i expected it to be kind of this oddball bike based on their 300 and 600 bikes and it's more of a normal bike in a way like the tnt 135 their little grom right okay you know it's like it fits in with that it's like the the, the tnt 135 you know if you somebody rides a grom they'll understand it right away and this bike it's a little different because of the of the uh the solid feel of it and the you know the the less agile feel which usually when you have a small bike you have a more agile bike but once you get used to that it's it's pretty cool one other caveat is you know you just don't know about the reliability uh you know how long all these parts are going to last uh it's you just don't know with a honda yamaha suzuki kawasaki you, you feel good about those bikes and you know that they're 30 years from now that bike's going to be ridden by somebody and and it'll be it'll be cool this bike that now the motor you know they use that motor in a lot of bikes and this they probably made a quadrillion of them so i think they have the motor down so maybe it's maybe it's going to be okay uh i can't say anything bad about the build of the bikes the three you know 500 benelli's that we've tested now they all feel like they're well built nothing odd about them as far as that aspect of it and uh you know not even just well built but overbuilt so it could be 30 years from now people are going to be on a lean ceo and going yeah this bike is cool you know that just remains to be seen okay awesome well i uh appreciate your thoughts on it and um i will look forward to talking to you again soon okay good good to talk to you as always all right thanks don